Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Stories of Darkness. My name is Sean. Thank you so much for listening. For updates on new episode releases, as well as other gaming-related content, please feel free to follow me on Twitter at Stories of Dark. Today's story is called Aftermath of Independence and is from the revised edition of Clan Book Gangrel, published by White Wolf in 2000 and written by James and Ellen Kiley. I hope you enjoy. My shit-kicker boots make a shuffle-then-thump sound on the city sidewalk. The sound is an alien. They do have cement where I'm from. What's fascinating is the chorus of echoes my footsteps set off, reverberating through this corridor of glass and steel. If I stop real good and listen real close, I can catch the echo whizzing back and forth across the street three times before the noise of the city overwhelms it. That game was fun until the delivery truck roared past. I must look like a rube, or worse, a cheap tourist. Who else would be walking around downtown on a Wednesday night with an armload of white-handled shopping bags, a baseball cap, and these boots? It's a good thing I pay cash. The department store clerks might think I'd stolen a credit card. I don't care where they think the cash came from, so long as they don't sick the rent-a-cops on me. That would get complicated. I might as well be a tourist. I only come into town twice a year to pick up consumables, comestibles, and indispensables. On my way back to the subway station, I mentally check through my purchases. It would suck to get halfway home before I realized I'd forgotten something. Five pairs of jeans. I'm hard on denim. One pair of chinos, which pass for dressed up. Three white dress shirts, five flannel shirts, needles, buttons, thread. I may be a walking stereotype, but I can and do sew my own buttons, thank you. Batteries, all shapes and sizes. Good soap, deodorant, and cologne. The trick to smelling like a human. People aren't stupid. Even if they don't know they can, they can smell a predator, and then they get panicky. Camouflage is the key. Not just sight, but smell and sound, too. That's why I bother to juggle this last bag with a greasy burger and fries. Who expects to see a vampire carting around fast food? Another two blocks to the subway. 45 minutes underground, then another eight blocks to the parking lot where I left my van. I hate leaving it so far away. It's got everything I own in it, but it isn't exactly built for city driving. My pride and joy is a 69 Chevy sports van. No power brakes, no power steering, and it might as well be built out of cast iron. I once hit a really pissed off werewolf with it at about 60 miles an hour and it felt like I'd gone over a speed bump. I call them werewolves, and not because I think that's what the furry bastards prefer to be called, but because when I see one slavering in the moonlight I think, oh fuck, werewolf, and not, oh fuck, lupine. He did leave a dent in my bumper though. One more block. I've got it pretty good, all things considered. I'm about the only gangrel I know with a steady job. It's not much, I'm just a night ranger at the National Park. I wish they'd come up with a better job title than that, because I've heard all the 80s guitar rock jokes I can take. Still, the job means a small but steady paycheck and a secluded place to park my van on the grounds. Management becomes very understanding of your odd schedule when the senator comes for a midnight nature walk, and his whiny kids get to see the deer and hear the wolves howl no matter how much noise they make tromping through the forest. I know there are werewolves around, but so far they've left me alone. I guess we've got an understanding in place. As long as I don't fang the kitties who visit the park or devour wolf cubs, they'll turn a blind eye when the occasional poacher goes missing. Or adventurous teens and lonely single mothers leave a little paler than they came in. The mouth of a dark alley looms ahead, mid-block. As I pass, a quick slither of movement catches my eye. I freeze and the shape freezes too. A voice that sounds like it's been scraped from the bottom of a barrel drifts to my ears. Everett. 
And I know that voice. I'm lying on the forest floor, face pressed into the rotting leaves and twigs. It's night, but the usual woodland sounds are hushed. Something's on the hunt. In fact, she's standing right over me, her clawed feet just inches from my face. She's been following me for some time now. I've seen her every couple nights for the past few weeks. I thought she might want to hook up, but when I finally got the pluck to introduce myself, it turned out that what she really wanted to do was chase me through the forest until I died. So here I am, watching my blood soak into the hummus, wondering if this is what the bitch does for foreplay. Then I hear a new voice. I can't lift my head to see, but it sounds like booted feet, not bare and clawed like hers. For a wild moment, I imagined an axe-toting ranger come to rescue me, but the boots come to a stop not far from her and stay put. The man's gravelly voice sinks quickly to my level. This is him? Her feet turn to face him, as I imagine the rest of her does. Yep. There's a grunt from above. <laughs> Doesn't look too likely. I wouldn't pick him. I'm strangely offended. My soon-to-be murderer is patient. I didn't ask you to approve him, Shepard. I asked you to help me stand the watch. The man, Shepard, I guess, squats down, taking some time to fold his bulk down low enough to look at my face. He's none too pleasant to look at. I wish he'd stayed standing. You beat him up pretty good, Jane. Think he'll make it? Her answer is couched in an amused tone. I needed to make sure he wasn't the type to roll over and die. He'll be fine. They all make it unless you kill them outright beforehand, stupid. I failed to see the humor in the current situation, and I'm not feeling fine. My heartbeat is fluttering, and it's becoming difficult to keep my eyes in focus. Shepard stands back up. I'm momentarily grateful that his face will not be the last thing I see before dying. I'll help you keep watch, Janie, but tell me you got somebody's okay on this. She laughs outright this time. Who's there to ask permission, Shepard? Do you see any princes here? Hear one or smell one? The gangrel do not ask here, Shepard. We simply do. If I am to ask anyone for the right, it should be the intended chill himself. Jane crouches beside me. Her face swims in and out of my vision, her glowing red eyes multiplying dizzily. Her voice comes in clear, calm, and I fasten onto it like a drowning man to driftwood. It's a simple choice. Die or survive? Do you want to survive? I lifted my head from the leaves with my last strength. I remember saying yes. She was wrong, though. It wasn't, isn't, a simple choice. I step into the alley, out of light. My vision blurs for a moment. When it clears, I can see him perfectly. Shepard. I should have smelled him a mile away, but his sour, oily scent is alarmingly similar to the odor wafting off the french fries I'm carrying. If I'm not mistaken, those are the exact same boots he was wearing that night, so many years ago. He shambles out of the doorway where he'd hidden from sight. I'd forgotten just how large he is. You didn't present yourself to the prince, Everett, he growls. I shrug packages still draped along my arms. I've been here two nights. I haven't fed, and I don't intend to, and the prince never attends Elysia midweek. Shepard smiles, and it isn't a nice smile. He enjoys his job far too much. Rules are rules. He moves closer, sidling along the building wall, kicking trash out of his way as he walks. Bullshit, I reply. I was here last winter and six months before that. I'm like clockwork, Shepard, and no one's complained about my shopping habits before. I keep still for the moment. He's not fast enough to cut off my exit. Shepard grunts in admission. That was before, he says. Before what? I ask. I know what he's going to say. 
I try to calm myself down. White shopping bags flapping around in dark alleys might draw unwanted attention. Before you left the Camarilla, Shepard mumbles. He has the grace to look at his shoes for a moment, as though even he knows just how artificial this little scene is. Shepard, this is crazy. Do you think I'm some kind of spy? Does the prince? I watch him carefully. His suddenly guarded look answers my question. I don't believe I can keep the exasperation out of my voice. Let me run through the logic for you. You're gangrel too, Shepard. Have you suddenly turned into a Sabat stooge? He practically snarls at me. No. Then what makes you think I have? What have I ever done that might give him that idea? And why does he let you run around loose if he thinks we're all devil-loving traitors? I'm practically flailing now, arms flung wide in a messianic pose. I knew there were bad feelings over the affair, but I hadn't expected things to get this bad so quickly. Shepard stops dead in his tracks, beads of blood sweat form on his forehead and slowly trickle down his temples. When he speaks, his voice is forced. The prince can... Trust me. My heart sinks as I hear those words. I can feel the anger welling up from deep inside. Anger at myself for walking into this, at Shepard, and his paranoid prince for setting it up. Even at Xavier for causing this whole damn mess in the first place. You fucking idiot. My mouth is shouting. You let him do that to you? You let him chain you up like a pet pit bull so he can sick you on whoever he wants? What kind of gangrel are you? He moves faster than I thought he could. Or maybe I'm just too busy spouting off to have caught the first hint of movement. I whirl around, but too late. His bulk is interposed between me and the street. Claws have sprouted from his fingertips. He wasn't going to just let me walk out of here before, but now I've made him mad. I drop my bags, finally, but not before he rakes one of them open with a vicious swipe. I block his next two strikes. Left. Right. It's not easy. Shepard is strong as a bull, and those claws are sharp. I'm faster than he is, but I can't keep this up for long. I leap up, grabbing the end of a dangling fire escape ladder to deliver a two-footed kick to his head. It's enough to knock him back a few feet and give me a second to consider my options. I could go up the fire escape, but Shepard can probably climb faster because he's stronger. The two doors I can see are metal, and if they're locked, I'll be trapped in an alcove with no room to maneuver. Ten yards behind me, the alley ends in a brick wall. If I'm going to get out of here, it's got to be through Shepard. He's back at me now, claws swinging like scythes. I give ground back into the alley, sniffing out what I can of what's behind me while devoting hand-eye coordination to keeping clear of Shepard's nasty fists. I catch a promising odor along the wall to my left. Bleach, a little mildew, the slightest hint of old vomit. I get a little too distracted by my nose and Shepard catches me upside the head. There's pain and blood. It was a glancing blow, but I think he just folded my scalp in half. I can see my anger now like a red film in front of my vision. I force the beast back down. If I frenzy now, I'll throw myself at him and he'll rip me apart. Shepard takes a moment to gloat over first blood, and I take the opening. I lunge to my left, hand out, hoping my senses haven't led me astray. My hand closes over the smooth wood of a mop handle, and I know I've got a chance. Flooding my muscles with as much blood as I can, I launch a quick flurry of attacks with wood, fists, and feet. I catch Shepard by surprise. I'm not hurting him, but I drive him back. Three steps, then another and one more bring us back to just about where we started. A fainted kick to the knee and a real backhand to the chin rock him one last step back. His gigantic foot comes crashing down with all his weight into the pile of my belongings. The flat crunch of crushed glass is all the warning I get. An almost invisible plume of scent rises into the air from the pulverized cologne bottle. Even though I knew it was coming, it still nearly makes me gag. Shepard turns around to see what the hell he just stepped in. 
I bring the mop handle down on my knee, snap the wood in two, and drive the sharp end up under Shepard's ribcage and into his heart. For a panic moment, I'm not sure that it worked, but it just takes him a moment to go rigid and topple. I slump against the bricks for a moment, letting the anger and fear seep out of my body and into the cold clay. It doesn't look like anyone has noticed our little dust-up. I glance down at Shepard. His face is a strange mix of hatred and resignation. His naked talons tensed and bent. Grunting with the effort, I haul his heavy ass further down the alley, out of sight from the street. His deputies might find him before morning. I'm hungry now, and for a moment my fangs distend as I stare at the blood pooling in Shepard's shirt. I force the teeth back up into my head. The last thing I need, or any gangrel needs, is to reinforce the rumors flying around by doing something so stupid as diablerizing a sheriff. It's not Shepard's fault, anyway. He just got caught flat-footed, in the wrong place at the wrong time when Xavier dropped his little bombshell, whatever that was. How many other gangrel are paying for our freedom and don't even know why? Moving stiffly, I find my hat, fit my scalp back over my head properly, and use the hat to hold it in place while it heals. That'll take a few nights. I change shirts quickly, mopping the blood off my face with the old one and tossing it back down the alley. Last thing I need tonight is a hassle with some well-meaning token-taker who thinks I should pay a visit to County General. I stuff what I can into the remaining bags. That was 75 bucks he just cost me, Shepard. I grumble over my shoulder. Tell the prince he's lost my shopping dollar. I won't be back. Shepard's reply wouldn't have been very witty anyway. I limp out of the alley and the half-block to the subway. I never really need to come back to the city. Just once in a while, it was nice to see the crowds of people to walk through the brightly lit bustling shopping centers to maybe catch a show. Most important, to see some other kindred for a change of pace. Telling Jane about this isn't going to be easy when or if I ever see her again. I think next time I'll have to order my wardrobe over the internet. <laughs>